0: Are we live? Yeah, I think we're all lined up. I think we're live. What's up, guys? John Sintas here, Cutter Nation podcast. Excited. Got a great dude on here, Jared Gaynor. But first, don't forget, run over to my online store, grab yourself one of these awesome tri super soft, doesn't hold smell, great training shirts. You represent what you know, throw hard. You know what I mean? Also, I got one hat left with the awesome leather patch. It's got the baseball logo. You can see it on there. If you guys got any other questions, feel free to DM me. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. But without further ado, and I'll let him tell you about his history and where he's at. Jared, thanks for coming, bud. Hey, John. Thanks for having me on the show. No problem, man. No problem, man. So uh, we were just talking a little bit off air, but we were saying that you and I met weirdly through this awesome community of Instagram. And we've, I, I don't know about you, but I've come to the conclusion that one, this is the library this is the spot where if you want to learn about pitching or understand or get get around people that have been there and
1: want to share information
0: i really feel like it's a great community for that
1: oh absolutely the social media platform is great with twitter and instagram just there's so much information out there that you can see videos posts and just the interaction with coaches and players is uh pretty incredible
0: i i I totally agree i mean as an older guy being 32 i really you know, a lot of these younger guys, I think, are spoiled on the information side. I remember trying to watch, without DVR, Greg Maddox, Smoltz, Glavin, Roger Clemens, right. Pedro Martinez, and watching these dudes dice guys up and then not have a clue what they're doing. You know, just be like, I have no idea how this guy, and, you know. And when you learn things about how camera angles and zooms and all this stuff, and, you know, balls look like they move eight feet. You know, and, and so it's, it's just funny that now with slow motion video and technology and Instagram and gifts and Twitter and all this stuff, how much easy it is for these guys to be able to get the right information. But yet there's still a disconnect, you know.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, and I'm you know, I'm a little bit younger. I'm 26. But even for me, when I was in college and high school, I wish I would have had access to some of these things um so i say it's pretty cool and um, hopefully kids are taking advantage of it and i've seen it just with interacting with kids on on my own social media platform it, it's cool to see the amount of kids that are wanting to learn new stuff and are constantly asking questions yeah
0: i totally agree i mean i just went to kansas uh with a team over here with some freshmen and i think a couple sophomores but the biggest thing i took away from it was really the lack of understanding of what they're supposed to do and i and even as me, I'm thinking back and I'm empathizing with these guys. When I was a freshman in junior college, yeah, I, I just didn't know. I, had, I, I thought I knew, but, you know, you get there and then you got one guy telling you this thing. You see your teammates doing something else, you know, and your coach is telling you one thing. But what he's saying, you don't see the other guy do. And this guy's playing, but you're not. It's just this weird circle of uncertainty. And that was the biggest thing I came from it. And, and so, you know, I'm going to throw out some things to you a little bit later on some ideas up there. But is that what you've noticed, too, that there's almost a confusion level that, for what you see with your guys?
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, it's, it's almost like there's so much information out there now that, like, their, their brain just kind of freezes and they're not really sure what's right, what's wrong. And um, I think it, the big thing is kind of trying to figure out each individual's um, physical capabilities currently. Some guys can't get into the positions you want them to get into on the mound just because they don't have the strength or they don't have the mobility. Um, so I think it's important to kind of see where they're at right now and to just slowly build their trust. Because that's the other thing, too. Like when you're working with players, I feel like they got to have that trust factor or else they're not going to fully invest the time into it. So there's a lot of uh, moving parts and a lot of different things to consider. Um, so, but I think the number one thing is just to gain that trust with the athlete, and then you can start to slowly make adjustments once you understand how their body moves.
0: Totally agree. Totally agree. I don't remember if it was the Patrick Jones podcast that, that you were with that guy and we'll go over that because you know the, the connection there is awesome. Cause I, I just, you know, trying to learn, trying to better yourself. I really feel like even I, I tell these kids all the time, like, yo, there's literally free information in podcasts. And I just, you know, I can't really get the kids to stop Fortnite to be able to do it. So I'm trying to like convince them to be like, Okay, while you're playing Fortnite turn your sound down a little bit, and in the background, play this podcast and see if you can absorb something exactly. from what they're saying. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, for sure. No, I couldn't agree more. There, there is just so much free content. I mean, you name it, videos, podcasts, um, articles, just just anything. Like, there, There's so many different avenues to go about it. Um, and even just having conversations like we're having right now, just talking to people um, that, that know a little bit about pitching or whatever it is you want to get into. I, I think it's just... Um, it's the way to do it, and hopefully, kids are taking advantage of that.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. So let's go over your playing history first. Let's introduce, you know, every, Jared Gainer, everybody. Let's find out, you know, what kind of animal he was, you know, as as an as an athlete. Yeah.
1: Uh, so I, I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, and always pitched. I played outfield too um, throughout high school. I actually liked outfield more than pitching, uh, but once I realized that my future was going to be a little bit better as a left-handed pitcher than just an average hitter. Um, I decided to focus on pitching um, in college and play two years at South Mountain Community College in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and then went on to play two years at George Mason University for two years. And um, I was never really the biggest or the strongest. I never threw the hardest, uh, but I always worked hard, threw strikes, um, was always trying to work on things, keep hitters off balance. I was always trying to work on the mental side of the thing. I always, I always felt like um, my biggest strength was just being able to to read hitters quickly because I knew I couldn't overpower them with stuff. If I just threw in, you know, 83, 84 hour fastballs, it was going to get hit. So I had to learn how to read swings, um, how to be a more effective pitcher. Um, And so that's what I kind of prided myself on, was just being educated with how I wanted to pitch. Um, And then, unfortunately, because of my velocity, I didn't throw very hard, even though I had success in college. I I didn't get drafted. Uh, But I ended up finding out about the independent route. Um, I wasn't too familiar with independent ball um, in college. Um, All you think about or hear about is, you know, playing Major League Baseball or playing in an organization. Uh, But I realized quickly that there's another avenue to professional baseball and independent ball. And uh, there's a lot of really good uh, players there, a lot of a lot of really good leagues and teams. And I was able to sign with the Wichita Wingnuts and the American Association to start off my professional career um, about a month after the draft um, in 2014. And then I really bounced around. I played for six independent teams in four years. So I really, really moved played for three teams in the American Association. Um, Then I played for two teams in a newer league in Michigan called the United Shore Professional Baseball League. Um, And then I finished up uh, last summer playing in the Atlantic League with the York Revolution where we won a championship.
0: Yeah, championship. Congratulations on that. I saw that. I saw that. That's awesome, man. So when you and I met, you were in York, right? You were playing with them, right? And I, and I remember I was doing a live stream and we were just talking about stuff. And, you know, I was probably a little bit of a bad move. The team that I was on was just awful. Like I could tell from the moment I got there, we did not, I don't think we even understood what we were trying to do as a team. Like I didn't, I saw no direction. I saw nobody talking about goals, trying to win games, trying to dominate or anything like that. It just kind of showed up, went through the motions, went out. And that was one of the things that I learned. And, and I tried to do my best to try to help us as a pitching Guy to try to help the guys that because I understood that if the bullpen was weak behind me as a starter, then you know it, it was going to hurt me. And and right. unfortunately, unfortunately, we we lost thirty three games in a row, which was one of the worst times of my life. And as well, we were on the road for all thirty three games, which was crazy. Like it, it was like a new team, new stadium. Our our field wasn't ready, and so it just turned into this big thing. But I I you know, they make a change that all teams do, you know, you get mad about it, but what can you really do? And so I just decided to kind of like invest into what I could control, which was like trying to do podcasts, you know, be more available on Instagram. So that's when we run into each other. Right. And like, I think we were talking about where I, and we, and correct me if I'm wrong. Like, I think we, we talked about a little off air I think we were talking front sides, rotation stuff like that. And, and I think we, you sent me a video we talked about it. And I think one of the things I had told you was talking about trying to get, you know, glove side cleared a little bit behind the shoulder. Is that something that you still are, are, are on track with with what you're doing now and how you're doing with your GSP training, which by the way, if you guys don't know, follow Jared on Instagram, he does a great job throwing out a lot of pitching tips and stuff from there, training, great ideas. And if you're in the Phoenix area, run over and check him out, you know, a little plug for you there. And, <laughs> um, so speaking of front sides, what what are your thoughts on that now? Like you know, it's been shoot, I think a year and a half, two years since we did talk about that. But did that kind of help you for what we were going over?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was always, and I'm sure from the early on coaching, I had um, just you know as you grow up, you're taught certain things, and it's hard to break that mold as you get older. Um, but yeah, I had a hard time having my glove kind of disconnect from my. Um, my backside so what I mean by that is everything was kind of moving together there wasn't really a disconnect with my glove and as a result I felt like I wasn't using my front side as efficiently or as powerfully as I could Um, so like kind of we talked about about clearing my front side and allowing me to get more extension because we talked about it even before the show about how I was cutting myself off a little bit Um, just being able to clear that front side a little bit more allowed me to rotate better Um, because if the gloves if the glove is blocking or staying in front of you it makes it tough to rotate um, so I, I felt like once I started to work on that and get the the feeling of that glove going a little bit earlier and clearing a little bit before my arm starts to come through, it allowed me to rotate better and get better extension.
0: Yeah, that's that's one of the things that I've really been into. One thing that I'm really into right now is is shoulder rotation speed. That's what I've been trying. I'm getting big time jumps with a lot of my guys. Where not only are we trying to get the hips and the feet to go fast, but the shoulders to go as fast as we can. And, and I really saw a lot. I had a guy in Kansas when we were there. It was a, going into his freshman year. His first outing, super linear guy, you know, gloves straight out front, what I call a negative angle where the front shoulder is below the back shoulder, and he was like 81, 82, and uh, couldn't locate a breaking ball. Uh, it was always up, through a split, was in it, you know, just really had a bad timing day. And when I talked to the guy and asked him about what he felt with his motion, he did exactly what everybody does, and they lie to the guy that's asking the question, which is hilarious. I'm like, so how'd you feel? He's like, felt great. And I'm like, okay, let's let's process this. You <laughs> threw you through 10 balls and three stripes, right? How did you feel great? Like, because your body language and your facial expression did not express greatness. It expressed I'm lost. I, I, you know, I don't feel what my body's doing and stuff from there. And so, got him a little bit more shoulder rotational. Try to understand what we're trying to get. And then, and let me ask you this question: When I asked him, and I asked him, do you feel like that there is nothing when you throw? Like there's zero resistance. Like you just hear your arm go by and the ball go by your face. And that was something he has never experienced before. Like he could not. He, he was confused at me saying, he's like, what do you mean nothing? I'm like, literally, you throw the baseball and it doesn't hurt. There's no tension. There's just sound leaving, going away from you. And he just had never heard of that process. So is that something that, is that like a cue or something that you got to go with your guys?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure, a little bit. Um, and I think it just comes back to like using your body efficiently. When you use your body from the ground up, it makes everything feel a little bit more effortlessly up, up with the upper half. So kind of like what you were saying with this kid, how he had like a negative angle and was kind of just drifting there. It's going to cause a little bit more stress on the arm. So um, I, I like the idea of thinking about the arm just kind of floating into position, and that's going to allow it to what you said about how kind of just feeling your arm just go by. Um, so I, I think that's definitely um, a good cue to think about. And really, like, like when I'm talking to guys about, back to your earlier point about rotating, um, I, I think the faster you can rotate the upper half, The harder you're going to throw as long as it's not just flying open but efficiently rotating quickly and while i'm doing that like a lot of guys i work with their tendency is to get really tense with their arm when they do it but once i get them just to be able to relax and let their arm just kind of flow into position and whip through the zone better while they're rotating fast that's when a lot of guys get really good results so it makes a lot of sense what you're saying
0: yeah cool all right so once again instagram's awesome we have shared ideas and you have different cues but the results are the same and so you know, that's that's awesome. So let's let's go over your coaching side of stuff. Right. I, you know, you I think you did you coach at ACU? Is that where you coached?
1: Yeah. So my coaching journey started in 2015 um, during the off one of my it was during my first offseason. Um, I took a, co- a coaching job at a high school in Arizona, Coronado High School. I was uh, just an assistant coach there. Um, and then the following year, I actually became the head coach at the high school. Um, So I was head coach there in 2016 and then uh, 2017 I was the pitching coach at Arizona Christian and then this past spring I was also the pitching coach at Arizona Christian which is a NAI school in the Phoenix area. Um, Then I actually recently uh, took a position at Virginia Commonwealth um, University to be a grad assistant so I'll be heading out to Virginia here in a few weeks.
0: So you're going back to the east coast.
1: Going back to the east coast yeah. Yeah
0: right on congratulations congratulations on that promotion and, and i kind of followed ACU just a little bit because i don't know if it was you or or uh, uh dean you know you got to you'd be in the hip pocket with dean that genius of a pitching human you know and 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 uh, i know he was out there doing some stuff i sent him a couple messages on some stuff and i'm trying to you know I, and i'll tell you this too i i got dudes that look for jobs so I'll, I'll i'll send you some stuff off air and see some guys that maybe i can get them over there and help you guys out some some to who understand what they're trying to do, that we're trying to uh, – correct me if I'm wrong, at least I'm trying to sum up in the most egotistical way of pitching. But the uh, way I try to teach it is I want you to strike out every person, every person you face. That's what I want my guys to do.
1: Domination. That's what we want.
0: Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Cool. Um, all right, so then you got to – you're going to Virginia Commonwealth, and that brings us to – now you go up and you coach with – The Lima 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 Locos,
1: right? Is that what it is?
0: Say it one more time, you cut up. Lima. Lima. Lima Locos. And what league is that in?
1: It's in the Great Lakes Summer Collegiate League out in Ohio.
0: Ohio, Out in Ohio.
1: Where the teams were, and then one team in Canada as well.
0: Gotcha. And so when you were up there, did you feel – as your knowledge of pitching and everything came through, do you feel like you're – Your philosophies and stuff applied in in a very short time frame to those pitchers that were in there. Obviously, you were the pitching coach, correct? I
1: was the head coach.
0: You were the head coach. Oh, you were the guy. Awesome. You were the guy. All right.
1: I was the head coach and the pitching coach. (laughs) Okay.
0: So, how would you feel like your season went with that?
1: Uh, It went good. You know, we, uh, we actually had our own weight room and like indoor facility at our field. It was nothing special, but I mean, it had everything we needed. We had all the weights we needed, it had a little turf room with. Um, medicine balls and plyo balls and all that so and it's summer ball is interesting because i'm basically borrowing players for a couple of months they're not really my players so i can't do whatever i want with them I, I have to communicate with their coaches and make sure we're on the same page but um it was really cool most of the coaches were on board with everything i wanted to do with them um so actually when they when everyone got there this summer to start off i went i took them through a, a physical assessment a movement assessment and then um, a strength assessment And uh, just to kind of see where they needed to work on and uh, that I built a a workout program for for all of them individually for the whole summer, as well as a throwing program. And um, it a lot of them really saw some good results from I had one kid he's at USC upstate uh, a mid-major D1 in South Carolina. Um, His coach didn't want him to use weighted balls at all, um, but he was allowed to do all the weightlifting stuff and all the drills that we were doing. And he went from hitting 88 his first scrimmage with us to topping out at 94 at the end of the summer solid um, good good results you no know, he was one of the guys that he put in all the work he he invested every single day it didn't matter how he pitched he was putting in the work and doing everything he could to get better this summer um and that's what it takes you know you can write the perfect program but if the the kid or the player isn't bought into to doing everything he can then they're not going to get the results it doesn't matter how good the program is so um credit to him for for putting in the time and the effort and, and he saw the results from it
0: Yeah. Ownership of your own career. That's probably my number one regret was like listening to certain guys on like limiting yourself and phrases like there's only, only so many bullets in the arm and things that like when you think about it, like as an athlete, not as a pitcher, you're like, that makes zero sense. Like if that were the case, if there were only so many bullets in the arm, we could take the same concept and say, okay, I can only squat so many times in my body like and then like and so it, it that whole all of those old school things like I, I love the fight the fight that this current internet you know twitter instagram pitching world is fighting because they're going like no no you're wrong like right. this it's almost like a brick wall now because especially and i'm sure you follow the drama going online like everybody else is like there's like a divide it's like you're either a weighted ball guy or you're not and i like I just don't understand why you can't be a, like you can't mesh the worlds. Like, I it just doesn't make sense. Like, if something works, how are you going to deny the fact without trying it? A lot of my guys, I mean, all my guys, really anything new that I see online, I'm going to try it before I'm going to have my guys try it. Because if right. I don't, if I do it and it doesn't feel good, I'm not going to let them try it until they feel it, you know. And it's the same thing, like you were saying, with the customization. Personally, I have two titanium screws on my elbow when I do a three or four ounce throw. It doesn't feel good, so I don't do it, right? Yeah, but I have guys on my team or my guys that I train with that they can do it, and it's great. That's fine, you know? And so that's what I'm trying to explain to them is the differences of that. Is that kind of how you run? Like when you ran your summer program with there with the Lima Locos, you could see, you know, I know you had a weighted ball, not a weighted ball. Did you have any other specific things in, in the training program that you noticed? Uh, well, I
1: noticed as far as what? Just as, as guys
0: that could do stuff, couldn't do stuff. You know yeah. things that.
1: Yeah, you know something kind of like you said, like certain weights don't necessarily feel comfortable for some guys. Like I, that, that's where I think like weighted balls can get a bad rap if you don't really invest the time into it. It's just like anything. If you don't use them properly, you're gonna get injured. It's just like if you don't lift properly. If you don't throw a baseball properly, you're gonna get injured. So it's all about how you use it. It's usually, how you're implementing it, not the tool itself. Um, so. For, for me, I, I I was very conservative with guys when we were using some of the weighted balls and doing drills. I wanted them to communicate with me on what they were feeling throughout the movement. And if anything just didn't feel right, we would either adjust it or we would just eliminate that from, from the drill. Um, and for a lot of guys, certain drills, you know, a heavier ball didn't feel good, so we would just go with a more comfortable weight and still work on the movement pattern with the drill. So I think just listening to the athlete and, and trying to get them to be honest with you, because some athletes, they're, they're not going to say how they're really feeling, which is makes it really tough as a coach because you you can't think inside their head all the time but um i I think building that relationship with them just to be open with you and that you're you're trying to help them um, helps a lot and then you can effectively make a program for them that's going to work for them
0: i totally agree i've had a theory on this recently and you can steal this if you want but i totally i understand why i think these athletes start lying to us coaches parents boyfriends girlfriends whatever everybody because when we say our arm hurts or something doesn't feel good and we're talking like this we're talking primal seven six years old as soon as we say that our coach pushes on the bench right so we learn real quick that does not feel good and then i can't play so i'm going to toughen up like my dad or my coach says and try to push through it and then next thing you know there goes the rotator there goes the labrum, there goes the elbow the flexor whatever you know whatever the injury is they're just not being honest with how their body feels because they think they're going to be in trouble if they say they're hurt or they're going to get called weak. You know, is that is that what you see with it?
1: Oh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Because a lot of – like I had a kid this summer, early in the summer, his elbow was bothering him, and I said, we're going to shut you down. You're not going to pitch this, this, the rest of the game or for however long it was going to be. And he, he I could tell he was upset that he told me that it was bothering him. Because they, they always say, well, it hurts a little bit, but I can still pitch. I, I, I can still pitch. You don't need to worry. It's not that bad. But it's, it's exactly what you were talking to to that point. They don't want to have to sit on the bench and just kind of watch their team play when in reality that's what's going to be best for them in the future. They don't need a this summer game or whatever game it is isn't as important as your future.
0: Agreed. Agreed, yeah. And there is something to say to be winning and, and trying to be tough and toughen things out, but that's not what we mean in that situation. So if you guys are at home and you're not being honest with yourself as well as with your coaches – and then you throw weighted balls you've got to you got to take a little bit more ownership like i'm really into this whole ownership thing right now i feel like if you decide to do a program whether it's you're on your own or through someone else and you feel pain or discomfort and you continue to go i really feel like it's on you for not like identifying that you should have made some kind of adjustment or asked a question or do and do something and it's probably the The hardest thing with my athletes is really just getting to commit to being honest with where they are, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. Like I I love that word ownership, and I've been looking into that a lot, too. I've been reading books on it and and all that. It's just, at the end of the day, it's your career, and what you want to do with it is up to you. No one's going to make you go in one direction. If you want to make it somewhere, if you want to go to a certain college or you want to get to a certain level, it's on you. And you gotta be honest with yourself and do what's best for you. And if that means taking a step back, asking questions, um, and just being honest, and that's what you gotta do.
0: Totally, yeah. That's. I I mean, I'm sure you you follow Flama. I do. Yeah, I mean, his (laughs) he's always coming out with some nugget that I'm always like, dude, yes, like, thank you, like, I totally agree. Like, his whole thing about regret on trying to pitch for his coach because his coach somehow had the key to whatever access he was trying to get to the next level. I felt exactly the same. Like I was like, I always thought that this dude is going to help me get to the next level so I can go to the next level and get to pro ball and then get to the big leagues, you know? And so when I started processing post, you know, university situation, I started going like, well, this guy didn't do anything. I did it all myself. And why was I thinking that this guy, like, I, you know, why was I thinking when I throw this pitch where I want to and then I'm looking for his approval? That's what I see a lot with my guys. And so that's the whole thing that I preach with ownership of like, hey, man, you're throwing the ball. Like, don't look at me. I'm, I, yeah, I don't have the ball in my hand. You know, you're, you're doing it, you know. So that's that I really feel like that's giant in the pitching world where you see a lot of people that go after that stuff, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Okay, so when you were as a player, as a pitcher, you said you didn't throw very hard. Can we get an exact range of what where your fastballs were?
1: Yeah. So early. So in in my freshman year of college, I was like eighty to eighty two. Um, left-handed pitcher. My sophomore year, I actually, for some reason, my sophomore year, I threw harder than any other year I did in college. Um, I was I was eighty five to eighty eight my sophomore year. Junior year, I was in like the eighty three to eighty six range. I would still touch eighty seven or so. And then my senior year, we never radared, so I never really knew what I was at. And then we ended up making it to a regional, um, and I was pitching against Rice, and they had a radar gun on the scoreboard. And I looked back, and I was like 82 to 84 that game. <laughs> and it didn't make sense. Like I, I, but my senior year was my best year performance-wise, even though my V-Low was lower. And I don't really know why it was because I was stronger than I had ever been. I, was, I thought I was doing all the right things. Uh, but mechanically, I had some issues with my mechanics, but I was able to – I was pretty consistent with them. I know like repeatability, like coach. there's there's arguments going out that you can't repeat the exact movement or the exact release point and all that. Oh, that, yes. Thank you for I, saying that. We'll
0: go into that next.
1: <laughs> uh, but I believe that even if you don't have the best mechanics, you can make them work if, if you, you work it. Like for me, I knew I did things wrong. Like my glove side was bad. I flew open a little bit but I was consistent with the, being able to execute my pitches still while doing that just because I practiced it so much. So I think that's why I was able to have success, but as a result I was sacrificing velocity for it. Um, and then after after college, uh, my first year in pro ball, it was that summer, so I didn't really have any time to train and get better, but I was around the same. I got up to 86, 87 um, with Wichita. Um, and then uh, that offseason um, I made some decent strides. Um I, I The first weighted ball program I did was Tom House's MPA program, and I saw some results from my arm felt good, but I didn't really get a big velocity jump. I was eighty four to eighty six that next summer, um, and then it was the following off season, off season of twenty sixteen. I found out about Driveline. Uh, they had an eight week free program that I did, um, and I immediately um, jumped up to eighty seven to eighty nine um, in the eight week, the eight week time frame. And that was like the first time I did uh, pull downs. I'm not sure everyone knows what that is, but for those that don't, it's basically a running version of a crow hop throw. You're running into a crow hop throw in as hard as you can, um, and that I really saw the results from that. And, and okay, getting- small
0: pause, small pause. Can we go a little bit further into those running pull downs and like what you think helped you with like because that was, I listen, I get it. I'm sure you get it all the time. I get it all the time from guys online that don't understand. Like, I've got this one dude from Nebraska that I have no idea why he's obsessed with like how I'm teaching kids. Like, but every time he sees someone that does a a pull down on my Instagram on my live or whatever it is, he's like, that's cool. You can throw as hard as you can, five feet from a net and you know, it's 88. And so from somebody else besides me, why, why do you feel like those pull downs were very important and and significant for you to bring up?
1: I think I want to say the number one thing that it's taught me was to be an athlete again and to be athletic while throwing. Because I, a lot of times, especially when you have like a lot of instruction with pitching, and I like, I always had coaches tell me, just throw strikes. Don't worry about throwing hard. You're a lefty. Just just throw strikes and you'll be fine, which isn't necessarily the case. I might get guys out, but eventually I'm not going to. Um, so for me, the running pull downs, throwing at a max intent, it forced me to be athletic. You can't be robotic and run and throw a baseball as hard as you can. So that was the number one thing I thought it did for me. And then number two, back to what we were talking about earlier the rotation. It forces you to rotate so much faster, and you work so much more efficiently because your body's moving so fast. So, mechanic-wise, um, I rotated better. My front leg stabilized better, um, and my arm speed and just my intent was better. I when you're like, it sounds simple, but if you want to throw hard, you have to try to throw hard. You can't you can't just that's it right there. Throw hard. Yeah. Yeah,
0: you literally put it on a shirt for that exact reason. Like, because same thing, I'm, I'm totally, I'm, I'm following exactly what you're saying. Like, for the people that follow me know that I say it all the time. You want to throw hard, you throw hard. Like, and a lot of people don't realize that until you're actually trying, and that's the same thing. I think it goes back to fear of failure, fear of getting hurt, you know, like this. You know, even for what you said, there's so many hot words that you said that, like, I, like I take all those little things. Uh, like you're growing up and it's just not fair to you because I've got three lefties that are that probably my one some of my hardest throwers at their age right Right. and they've literally heard coaches say exactly what you just said it's okay you're a lefty you don't have to throw hard and I always am I always go why why does it matter if you're left-handed or right-handed oh well their ball moves more and so like they use words like natural movement and then when you're learning things like what, what driveline puts out all the time where it's like, there is no such thing as natural movement. It's because your hand is at that angle pulling that way on the ball, which creates that vortex on the baseball and the ball moves, you know? And so the more information education you can get on that, then you can make it do it on purpose. You know? right. And so I, I feel bad for guys that like, like you that probably had giant balls and went out there and dominated and really executed what was in your mind. But You know, Tommy's dad said you only got so many bullets, and you're left-handed, so let's let's not throw hard. We want to throw strikes, like, uh, like oh my gosh,
1: throw ninety-five and get movement and throw strikes. Why not strive for that? Why 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 just settle for throwing slow and throwing strikes? What what's
0: his name at the Florida baseball ranch? What's his name?
1: That Florida based for, Is
0: it uh Randy Sullivan? Randy Sullivan. Yeah, no, that's it. That's him. That's him. That's that podcast. I don't remember which one it was on. I don't know if it was with Robbie Rowe or with Patrick. Oh, Patrick. Um did. yeah. Duty. I that 45 minutes, I think I pulled over twice and like, all right, I gotta write something down here. Like this guy going over, like you were just saying, about you cannot repeat mechanics perfectly down to is so obvious, but yet we, we we just don't, we don't identify, you know, it's, it's, it's things like, you know, that, that you hear from that, that balance point and like all these things that are general cues that are different for everybody. You know, like I've got guys that don't understand when you stand on one foot that your balance point moves, that they still think it's in the center of their body. And I'm like, look at your hip shift. Look at things, look at the movement of the body and how it reorganizes itself to balance when you are standing on one leg, you know?
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's really good stuff. It's, uh, it's interesting to, to just see the controversies. I, I don't understand how you can be a coach and not strive to be learning more. Like how can you think that things are going to be the same as they were 15, 20, 30 years ago? Like, just like any other thing, you should constantly be evolving and try to better yourself. If we expect our players to get better and to learn, well, why shouldn't we hold ourselves to that same standard?
0: A thousand, a thousand yeses. One thousand. Yeah. Like it's, oh man, it really bothers me, especially with like, you know, and so, okay, you're a college coach, right? Going big time. Why? Here's a, am I'm I'm going to blow it up right now. Uh, just warning. Warning, FYI, I'm going to say some argue, some very controversial things in the next 15 minutes. Why do high school baseball coaches feel like that they have the tell-all answer? Why do these guys, who may have played, may have not played, why do they think that they have all the answers?
1: I wish I knew the answer to that. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, maybe they just th- – I. I I'm guessing part of it is that they're just, they're so much older than the high school kid and they, they just think they know more, which they probably do know more than most of them, but it is, it's, it still doesn't make sense to me how you want to want to constantly evolve and learn. Um, I think it's just, just being complacent and, and satisfied with where you're at. Um, so it, it's interesting. Um, I, I really don't have an answer though. What do you think?
0: No, I, what do I think? Um, well, I think it is that I think it, it is but I also think it's not only not uh, not evolving to learn but not experimenting with what you're personally because like how can you tell somebody what they feel if you've never felt it you know what I mean yeah. like that that's one of the biggest reasons why I like and so for the people that work with me here that know but you guys that, that only see what I put out there. I actually throw with my clients in the situation. So if you're throwing a change-up or a two-seam or a curveball and you're not getting the proper spin or what you're trying to – or locate or you're not moving your shoulders and disconnecting that front arm to get it behind your body so your shoulders move faster, I'll do it, you know. And so I, I it's so funny. I work with some of these high school guys and then i have giving them so much information and then their high school coach will go, hey, uh, I know you're working with that guy. Don't hurt your arm. Yeah, you know and and literally we spend 20 to 40 minutes after we throw working on arm care doing all of the stuff and i'm going like how in the world you know it's so funny that disconnect and it, and i think it really comes down to they're not at the situations so they don't know and then they don't know me and they don't know their stuff well, what they do know is that uh little johnny who just kind of came out of nowhere over the summer is throwing like seven miles an hour harder and his breaking ball is better. And he's striking out everybody you face, but Hey, don't hurt your arm. You know, it's yeah, like, what, I don't understand where your thought process, where do you, you think that the kid just figured it out? Like he obviously went and tried to learn something, you know?
1: Well, I think the other side of it too is like, if if the coach doesn't feel like he's the one that helps him, then he just, he doesn't feel like he has that control over him. So it's, it's almost like he, He's upset that it's not because of him.
0: I totally agree with that. I think it is 100%. I think that's – there's probably a thousand factors, but I think ego and putting my stamp on a guy is a big thing. I think that is – because honestly with me, I don't care if you come to me or go to somebody else or then come back or go – and I think that the same thing, ownership. You do whatever you want to do. If you want to come train with me and work on throwing harder and velo and learn everything, then that's great. If you don't – you're not going to hurt my feelings. Like, it's not a big deal. It's your life. Do whatever you want.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I, what I love what you said too earlier about the coaching situation. I love that you, you actually are in there with them doing the stuff that they're doing. Cause I, I couldn't agree more, especially the further and further you get out of playing, it can be real easy to, to think back and not realize how hard it actually was. Like, like you can look back and, mind and be like, well, just just do this, do that. But you don't realize that when you're a player, you had the same struggles and you struggled with making adjustments or if you weren't throwing strikes at a certain point, like it's not as easy as just, just throw strikes, don't walk people. It's like, well, obviously they're not trying to walk people. Um, I think the more that you can experience what they're doing and continue to work on yourself and throw, do the drills that, that they're doing, um, I think that's great and I think it's only going to help you as a coach.
0: Yeah, that's honestly, I mean, I'm 32 and I'm still active pitching. I, I'm fortunate enough to to find a, a couple leagues that I can play on Sunday that are actually competitive and and are fun to go out and compete. And, you know, going out to Kansas and pitching in that, it, you know, the first two games that we played, we walked 28 guys in two games. And I just couldn't believe how to out of disconnect with their own ownership of what they were doing of what happened like i had one guy that i i literally had to pull up his stat sheet because they put it all on point strength and then show him his actual numbers of how many strikes he threw to how many balls and he just he even then he was like yeah but it's all right i'm like dude you threw 14 balls and two strikes do you (laughs) understand that that is a problem and he's like yeah but I'll get it next time. I'm like, okay, no, no, no. There, you, you don't lie to yourself. It doesn't work that way. Like you, you don't hit the panic button, but you need to change. Something needs to change in your brain about how you're going about stuff, you know? All right. So back, back to the coaching thing one more time, because it's awesome that you're a college baseball coach and you've been over here because now I, I get to ask you some other questions and stuff. Let's say hypothetical situation. All right. Let's go high school first because you're a high school coach too. If okay. you have a guy who's going to a hitting coach or a speed coach or a pitching coach are you going to try how are you going to approach that athlete are you going to try to I, I don't want to even put anything how would you approach the athlete let's just go with that
1: about what they're doing
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, let's say they're going to some dude and you know mom and dad spent 10 grand on 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 pitching lessons through a guy, you know, from the moment he was 8 until now he's with you in high school.
1: Um if, well if he's been with him since he was eight I mean that makes it a little bit tougher but I, w- I feel like I would just ask questions like you know what is his philosophy why do you think it's helping and you know there's certain things not necessarily mechanically but like there I will say there's certain aspects there's certain things that whether they're exactly right or not um, if you feel that it helps you then then I'm willing to to work with that to, to an extent obviously if it's something drastic then we got to make a change but there's certain things, you know. This is not really pitching, but related to stretching type stuff, warm up stuff. Like, like as far as like say a dynamic warm up. There's talk about you know you shouldn't do static stretching of any kind before you before you do exercise. You should only do dynamic and all that. Like for me, like if a guy likes to do a little bit of static stretching, go for it. I don't think it's going to hurt him. Um, so that I I I like to have a little bit of leeway, just to the psych, the psych, psychology part of it of just if you think it works. Then it then it probably works a little bit, even if there isn't, you know, a ton of say scientific validity to it. Um, but but I, I think the main thing is like back it's, it goes back to having trust with the athlete that you're not I'm not immediately attacking and saying oh well, you're doing that wrong what you're doing with that coach what he's doing that that coach is teaching you the wrong things when you might love the guy whether he's right or not. Um, I think you got to ease. It do it. And, and I would maybe, if, if I really didn't agree with what the guy was doing, I'd probably see if I could get in contact with him and just talk to him and just kind of get to know him and hear his side of things and what he's actually teaching. Um, but that that's a tough approach. I never really had to do it at the high school level. None of my kids worked with outside people, um, which was kind of nice. Um, but at the same time, like I, I like kids that are trying to, you know, learn from other people and, and get new ideas.
0: Yeah, cool. So you came to it a little bit better than what i would say because on the flip side as an as a trainer instructor when i send some of my guys to some of these high school things i run into that's wrong this is wrong like the word wrong or incorrect is very subjective at the high school level but yet it's taken as as stone or fact to a lot of these athletes because he's my high school baseball coach you know and it's just like you know, especially after with what Flama threw out and then you start, re, you know, doing your own self-reflecting and stuff like that. When you understand who is throwing the baseball, I'll ask you this. Like, and, and you'll probably, as a coach, I already know, like, how you're going to take this. But what does the coach actually do in the game?
1: Watch. <laughs> Help yeah. A little. I mean, yeah. let's my players too I'm like we're, we're in a bullpen setting right now or we're in practice I can work with you but I said <laughs> you got to be your own best coach um, you know you got to be I can't go have a little mound visit after every mistake you make and say hey you need to do this and you do that you need to learn who you are as a pitcher and you need to figure out what cues work for you and figure out what mistakes you're making or how to make those adjustments like whenever I'm in a bullpen setting with a pitcher if he makes two or three bad throws in a row where he misses you know arm side bad or he spikes it I always ask them, "What are you feeling? What adjustment do you think you need to make?" And a lot of times, especially at first, they, they're like, uh, "I don't really know." Uh, but the more you ask the questions, the more you get them to think. They start to realize what type of cues they need them to, what type of cues they need that's going to help them. Um, and I think that's what's big. You know, when you're pitching in a game, you know, you have to be your own best coach, and you got to be able to make an adjustment from pitch to pitch um, in the game without me having to talk to you after every pitch.
0: Yes, totally uh, awesome. Yep. Yep. So you're so and I love how you approach it too because a lot of coaches that I've said that to, even at the high school level, get offended. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is back to the ownership thing. Yep. I want I want my guy to not need you. Yep. Just like he doesn't need me. Right? right. I want him to go out and play the game like he's in the backyard, got the tennis ball and the bat out, and I'm getting ready to drop a Yahtzee or I'm gonna strike you, strike you out because I'm trying to do what's in my head and accomplish it.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. You, you want to be able to train them to the point through, like you said, where they don't need you, you should be working on them and working on the things, not just telling them what they need to do. Like I, I really hated it when, when pitching coaches or, or when I see coaches do this to players, where they just tell um, they just tell the player what they're doing wrong. Oh, Hey, you're doing this, make this adjustment. I, I like the idea of, Having them figure it out for themselves, and sometimes not even saying anything after a few pitches, and see if they start to make an adjustment. Um, I, I think I think sometimes saying less is better, um, so they have a chance to figure out what they're doing and can make the necessary adjustment.
0: Totally agree. I, a lot of my guys, if they like, just the same because you threw out a couple things. We do the same thing. So, and and for guys at home, if you don't realize what he's saying, he said if you spike one or you sail one or vice versa, or what you said you don't say anything right away. You try to see if the athlete can make their own adjustments first, and then after maybe that third one in a row, okay, now let's take a second, talk about it. What do you feel? What's going on? And then even what you said too, and I had just a lesson with a seven-year-old today. We're just working on basic throwing, getting your mind right, being able to focus on one thing, and just that focus on one thing. What are you doing? He just couldn't do it because no one's ever – it seemed like that information was always given to him. He wasn't allowed – so, he, anytime I'd ask a question, immediately he had the habit of saying, I don't know. Right. So, with me, if you say, I don't know, it's a cop-out, five push-ups. Go ahead, seven-year-old. I think he did like 20, I think he did 20 sets. I think he did like 100 push-ups today. Like, just knock the kid out today. But it, it, then he started realizing, oh, if I say, I don't know, I got to do push-ups. So, I can't do that. So, That's then right. he started, yeah. So, then he starts stalling. And now I'm going like, no, 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 answer, Give me something I don't know is not an answer, right? What do you think it is? Don't be afraid to be wrong. You're not in trouble. You're not going to do push-ups for a wrong answer. You're going to do push-ups for saying I don't know and not trying. That's what I want,
1: you know? That's the thing. Like every every kid is going to have a different verbal cue. or Like it's not going to sound the same. Like every every player has their own thing that's going to work for them. You can't use one cue with one kid. I'm um, it to work for someone else. And there might be some correlation, but some of them, they're going to need different wording. You know, it's how you word. You might be meaning the same thing, but in order for to process, you got to word it or explain it differently.
0: Yeah. That's what I thought was weird on the uh, Randy Sullivan. When he's talking about queuing about like, I understand that part, what you're saying, like everybody's different and different queuing and stuff like that. But even what, correct me if I'm wrong too. Was he saying it like queuing isn't as effective as we think it is? Right, is he said something about like that, which I can kind of jump on the bandwagon of too, because I do a lot of instant video with guys where where, you know, same thing, you throw two or three pitches and then if you mess it up, I'm gonna video you on the third one and then we'll talk about what I see to what you see to what you feel, you know, and and maybe that's what he was going over, but I didn't really get him to he didn't expand too much on that side of it in on that
1: podcast. Yeah, I actually haven't listened to the episode yet, so I don't know what he said. Um, But but I have heard about that a little bit, too. Like, just saying words, like, doesn't necessarily work for everybody. For me, like, the cues are more for, like, a mental thing. Um, Like, for me, mentally, if I have something I'm focused on, I feel like it gives me more confidence and I have a focus point that I'm trying to work on. But I think being able to use that with video, complement it with video, I think is really important. I really like looking at video because you're not always going to feel what you're actually doing. So um, you might be feeling, you know, like, well, I'm staying close to that front shoulder all the way till my foot lands. But in reality, you're leaking off a little bit in that foot land. So I think having to going back, back and forth between the video, what you're feeling and what your cues are is important. I think they all kind of blend together. Um, I don't think you can just use a cue and expect to get results. Yeah, yeah. I, you know
0: what's crazy, too, is I, I don't think there's a lot of – I mean, it happens all the time. I get a high school guy, and I ask him, have you ever seen yourself in slow motion video throwing? And they're like, No. I'm like, really? You know, with this day and age of technology, you have this awesome device right here that can literally give you the answer and then show you what you're doing and you can make adjustments on your own or or have somebody else do an adjustment and you didn't even realize to turn the camera on, film yourself doing it. You know, it's just the processes like that that really keep me in business, you know? Yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, cool. So, you were talking about, you know, you got up to 80, 89, right? 89.
1: Um, yeah. And I ended up actually uh, this past summer, I made another jump and ended up getting up to 91.
0: So you're still training. That's great. You're still training. You're still throwing, staying active.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean like this past summer in New York. Um, oh, okay. Gotcha. Oh, that's
0: right. Yeah, in New York. Gotcha.
1: Yep. So um, yeah, I'm still training and doing all that stuff. Um, I think it's important. I still love to throw, so um it's one of those things like even when i'm done playing competitively like i just i love just getting into it and throwing on the mound and just competing
0: dude I, if i were to ever coach a college i and please do this please do it film it and post it just dice up your team one yeah. time please just get up like hey does your head coach dice because he's got the knife set out and he's out there just getting ready to cut some dudes up you know exactly Yeah, it was funny. Like I pitched – it's just so funny how like the way people look at stuff in general too and like this team that I took to Kansas, obviously I'm the oldest guy, you know, and it's so funny. And and you playing Juco, so you know how like a lot of people don't understand what really goes on in junior college. Like if you see a fight in junior college, you have to understand there's an encyclopedia of insults that have gone on up to that point and someone finally crossed the line, you know, like – it is so, it's so funny how that whole thing works, you know?
1: No, I love junior college. Junior college was a good two years for me. I really needed to, to develop and it was just a good time.
0: Yeah, it'll toughen you up for sure. It will, you know?
1: Charity oh, wise and just it, When I got to George Mason, I was like, this is nothing compared to where I came from. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. I thought the same thing. When I came from the junior college that I went to, and I was in the same town. I was like in, I was on one team to the other on the same they're like 15 15 minutes apart. And I was like, where's the uh where's the smack talk? Like nobody's, you know, nobody's gonna get excited. Or I mean I played with a guy, one of the best hitters I ever played with. This guy hit 650 for 80% of the season and took a fastball off the wrist. And that's kind of what put him out. But this dude used to intimidate people so well. Where if we were going intersquatting that day, and I played with him in junior college and in four-year, if if he knew we were going live that day, and he tried it on me, and I didn't fall for the trap, I way, because I was kind of confused at what he was doing. But as I saw him do it, he would lay mental bombs at nine a.m. weights when we're when he's going live, and he'd be like, and he would bring his bat to weights, and then just be like, today's the day, and That's he would awesome. start just going, Is it today's the day. He's like, I don't know who it is. Someone someone's gonna run into. Someone's going to run into me at the wrong time. And today's today's the day I'm leaving the yard. And, like, you would just see him, and he'd be over on the side. He'd lift weights, pick up the bat, start swinging. And you start seeing, like, exhaling and, like, having all this stuff. Like, ooh, ooh, I know. I know it's coming. I know it is. And so his mental toughness and, like, the way he would just mind mess with dudes was hilarious. And sure enough, he'd get in the game and be, like, four for five, four doubles and two bombs. And I'd be like, holy – like, and, and you would just see that the guys that were on the mound were like, don't miss, don't miss. Don't, and, you know, sure enough, he'd get right in there and he'd leave the yard or whatever. Yeah, that's
1: just getting in, inside your opponent's head can give you a huge advantage.
0: Oh, dude. And it, that's what happened in Kansas. I had guys that – you know, I never start the smack talk, but I'll get to points where I say things that you shouldn't say on purpose just because I know the situation ran in summer ball or whatever. For example, for example – Someone yells out, hey, cool, you're striking out 20-year-olds. Okay, now you've started it, okay? Yep. So I throw the pitch, guy swings and misses, and I look back over on the mound, and I yell, yeah, cool, a 32-year-old striking you out, you know? Started with <laughs> that. And, you know, it takes a minute for it to resignate. Nobody says anything. More things are said. Okay, now we have a foul ball on the first base side instead of, you know not say anything I yell because there's two strikes. let it go foul I want to strike out as loud as I can yell it you know <laughs> Also awesome. also hitters not too happy about it throw the pitch strike out looking stare into the dugout now they get up and at arms now they're really mad yep. right and so then I come back in the dugout and then all the my, the team the kids that are there are like dude, I can't believe you did that I'm like you have to understand. I have now distracted them from what I'm doing to what I'm saying. And so what I did, the hitter completely was messed up on that for what I just said right there. He had yeah. no idea what to do because I said, Hey, I want the strikeout. Right. Yeah. Now the dugout goes crazy, but the guy sitting in the box going like, wait, what? Like this guy doesn't see me as a threat or you know, anything. And so I was like, Yes. Snap off a good slider, buckle his legs, call it a day, you know? And, and so trying to teach somebody that the intent, like you're playing the person, like that's really something I've been into lately. It's like you're playing poker, but your cards are the pitches. But how, like you said, reading swings. And I love that it, because I'm the same way. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get as much information on what your plan is, you know? And And so I said, you know, that's all it was. I got them thinking about something other than what was going on. I took advantage because the batter didn't realize that I was insulting him, that I really didn't see what was going on. So his level of confusion of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. what did this guy say? What's going on? And then he's caught up in that situation. And so when the pitch comes out, he's not even there. And so then the next inning got even better because I struck out the side in like 11 pitches. So (laughs) it was, you know, the mental – assassination of like, almost like a street ball basketball. you know, it, it just not really, it's almost like in baseball, it's almost considered like golf where it's frowned upon. But when every, I've been to Panama, Colombia, Mexico, Venezuela, everywhere else they talk crap during the game and it's so much more fun. And I try to explain to people that when the game is going on, if you don't get offended, And you don't like try to fight the guy and you go back to it. You're fighting him with what's going on. And you see it online in video games all the time. The kids can handle it, you know, in Fortnite or whatever. You know, you got your headset on, you're doing it. But the minute it happens in real life, eye to eye to somebody, you really find out who your strong dudes are, you know. For
1: sure. For sure. No, I love that. All it takes is just getting in an opponent's head just a little bit. Throw them off their game, and, and you've won the battle right there. Now you can stick to what your plan is and, and attack them and finish the hitter. So, yeah, any intimidation factor you can do, I love that. There was once in college, um, they were trying to relay signs. The guy, There was a guy in the second base, and he was trying to relay signs, and I realized it. So, I finally just said, so you want to know what I'm throwing? Here you go. Here's a fastball. And I, did, I literally gave him, like, the fastball.
0: Ooh, sign. Yeah.
1: He just watched it like, wait, he actually threw a fastball when he told me he's going to throw a fastball? Just, just little things like that, you know, just just the confidence and just tell him, like, I don't care who you are. You can try to see what pitches I'm throwing. You're still not going to hit it. I'm going to dominate you right now, and I'm going to come at you with my best stuff.
0: Dude, baddest man on the planet. That's what I try to tell people. Like, I, used to, I write that inside my hat. I don't know if you, a lot of you athletes write stuff inside your hat, but I put I'm the baddest man on the planet inside of every game hat I've had since I was, like, a sophomore year in high school, because I I think I met, God, who, what's his name? I met Big Leaguer from Pensacola one time, and and he came to our practice, and that was one of the things he said. You know, he was just talking about self-belief and and trying to execute what's in your mind, and the only way you can do that is feeling like you're invincible, like you're the, like you literally, you're an immortal, you can't die, you're the baddest man on the planet. So I've just been running with that, you know, ever since. and, And now I get to the point where it's fun, and you can kind of, like, Cause a lot of people, when they see red in that situation, you lose your awareness of where you're at. So you gotta be able to like, turn it on, turn it off to be able to go, okay, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go get it. I'm going to strike all these guys out and be like, okay, but all right, let's, let's stay, you know, let's get to the top. Let's stay close. Let's rip it as hard as we can. Look, I'm getting excited already. You know? So, you know, it is, you know, that, you know, I get pumped up about this kind of stuff, especially, you know, being around these guys and then realizing where, how lost all these people are and then taking that information and trying to make all my athletes that I work with better. So I hope that you go off to school and maybe when you do dice the guys, maybe you, you know, you, you talk crap to them, you know, while you're pitching to them. Cause that would just be, could you imagine the stories and the Instagrams the next like two hours after that, they'd be like, I don't, uh, not quite sure how good I am at baseball, but my head coach just struck me out. So I really need to think about what's going on in life, you know?
1: Yeah, for sure no i love that the mental edge that's
0: the key major key cool awesome so let's move on to some more of of
1: i'm sure it's your favorite
0: too is 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 velocity development some strategies and some stuff because i'm sure you get it all the time i know i get it all the time but besides the obvious of trying to throw hard um and you've gone through driveline um if you've gone through driveline i'm sure you've gone through some jaeger long toss stuff um as far as with velocity development, is, is there a, a philosophy that you like to follow? Um, and, and, and I'll just ask you, is there a velocity that you try to like a piece by piece thing that you kind of try to go through?
1: Yeah. And, you know, a lot of it, it depends on the time of the year we're in. So obviously in season, we're not going to be doing as much stuff so like during the summer. Um, this past summer, it was kind of tough to do velocity development besides the weightlifting and introducing of the piles. Like, we couldn't really do any pull-downs because we had games every single day. Um, but so, like, off-season-wise, um, I'm, I'm huge with long toss. Like, Alan Jager's long toss program, I'm all about. I love Alan and the work he does. I've been using his bands and doing long toss, um, his long toss program since I was in high school. Um, and I, I really love that type of stuff. So, it's just like anything else. Um, we start, start with a base and gradually build on it. Um, so I, I like to start with driveline plyo balls. I'll do that for a good, good length of time uh, for about four, four or five weeks. Um, and we'll really hammer those and have one or two high output days, um, one, high output, one or two high output days with the plyo balls where we're going close to max intent with the drills. Um, so say you're throwing six days a week, it'd be about two, two um, high output days, two recovery days, and two somewhere in the middle. I call them, They're called hybrid days. Um, so the the recovery days we're still throwing, but it's just at a low intensity. Hybrid is somewhere in between. Um, and if it's if we're not in a pull down phase, if we're just doing the pile balls and building our base and throwing, then on the high output days it's going to be um, the long toss and really doing the full extension. And depending on how far into it we are, we'll do the compression and the pull down throws, just the baseball on the way in from long toss. Um, and then from there, this is more just like a generic a generic program, but. Um, I do. I'll do about four, four to six weeks of a weighted ball program, uh, where we're doing pull downs once a week, um, and it's the same thing. We'll still have two high output days, but only one of those days um, is with the weighted baseballs, and that will range anywhere from say three to seven ounces, unless it's a kid like you said, you, your arm doesn't feel good, when you throw a three or four ounce ball, so it's going to be different depending on the athlete and, and what they feel. So that's another thing where it's just open communication. So. Um, it, that, that's really just a general overview of it. And then after we go through a pull-down type phase, um, then that's when we would start gradually building into the mound phase of getting off the mound. And I even will do um, weighted balls off the mound. It's kind of a slower transition. I'll go from pull-downs to doing velo um, uh, work off the mound where we'll do, um, say, five throws with the baseball, five with the six-ounce, five with the four-ounce. And then the next week I might change that up, add more volume or change the weights a little bit and then just gradually build into regular bullpens and then eventually into the game setting.
0: Nice. Nice. Yeah. I I definitely think we're on the same page on that philosophy right there, especially um, you're a little, you have a little bit more room. I do a lot of stuff inside of a facility. Sometimes we have long toss days in our, my summer training program they ran over here, but I totally agree with that. I love the three day cycle. I've been, I've been doing the three day cycle for years and, and, uh, uh, you know, it, it definitely is, is, I think it's definitely the way to go. And, and even like you're saying, we, I use the same concept, just different words, like we were talking about before with coaching, different cues. I call it max effort day. I call it a 20% day and then I call it a, a 30 to 60 day, just on yeah. what you feel so to try to control your power output, you know, and then on that 30 to 60 day, I'm sure you're doing the same thing where you're just working on your pitches, trying to see the spin, trying to make, trying to make the ball move how you want it to. I think that's, I don't think that that is professed enough. Like just like you were saying earlier, why can't you throw ninety-five and locate and have movement? I'm totally down. I think you can have both. And with, correct me if I'm wrong, in your high intent pull down day, you don't really care where it goes. You're you're trying to get the max speed into what you're doing. You're trying to throw it a little bit straight, but more about just trying to see what that number is going to be.
1: Exactly. So that, that's more of the velo day where we're trying to enhance the velocity part. The other days might be more of a day where I'm working on my grips. I'm working on my pitches. I'm working on my location. Um, I'm working on mechanics. Like with with the velo days, I'm not really focused on anything other than throwing the baseball as hard as I possibly can. The other days we'll work on mechanical cues or we'll work on drills. We'll work on command, movement, all that type of stuff. And I actually had a tweet about that yesterday. Um, I don't think kids take their catch play seriously enough um, on average. I think – Every day when you're playing catch, it's a great opportunity to work on a new pitch or to refine your current pitch. If you you know, say you throw a two-seam fastball, why not experiment with some different finger pressures, different grips, maybe see if you can get a little bit more movement. I think every day there should be some sort of goal um, with your catch play rather than just going out just to throw to throw. You should have some sort of purpose and a a goal while you're doing it.
0: Yeah, that's that just goes back to good coaching and good strategies on what you're trying to do every day. I mean, that's why – that's why you are where you are and you, and you, you know, I mean, dude, I'm a, I'm a Virginia, Virginia Commonwealth, right? Yeah. That's the school. Yeah. I'm a fan now. Right. I'll be checking you guys online and, and, you know, hopefully I can get some dudes to come over there and you could be like, Oh, you work with John on Cutter Nation. Cool. You should know. We were trying to make the ball. I've been calling it, make it dance. I think that's one of the new shirts that I'm going to come out with is you got to make that ball dance. Cause none of you, like because straight ball goes far you know that's really what I learned down in Mexico like I stood point blank range away from a guy through 101 and he threw a fastball and a split and that's it he was venezuelan he was okay so he's venezuelan short short stride swing up guy and threw 101 so super abrasive on the arm i've never seen anybody get hit harder like john carlos Stanton's 122 the other day, ain't nothing yeah. for what i saw in this dude and i'm talking 18 19 year old guys and that's yeah. really where i started looking at you know, there, there's a lot of things right now with the pocket, you know, like the ball being right there and stuff like that. And so I'm going to throw out a formula that I've kind of come up with that I've had in my, the back of my head since physics um, in high school. Like, so literally we're talking 12, 14 years now since I was, God, I'm, so, I'm old. Wow. That hurts. You know? Um, anyway, uh, so the, the formula is distance of acceleration equals velocity, right? And so for me, when taking that guy through 101, this is kind of the time that I really figured out like, oh, okay, going down out of the glove is important because the distance to which I accelerate the ball, it gives me greater time to, to throw it faster, right? And so, even though this guy was throwing 100, what I did notice too and I and I can kind of demonstrate, when he swung up, how early the batters see the ball when it comes all the way around, I really think this is a big factor, um, especially with flight time seen by the hitter. You know what I mean? You see some of these guys, a Pedro Stroop. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other guys that kind of go up early and are still 95-plus guys. You can almost see that that guy who throws 95-plus, the ball to which it's in the air travels longer, and you see those, some of those guys get hit more rather than what you're seeing some of these guys that are pocket. Um, Joe Kelly's a guy that I really like to see. You know, he's got that nice, fast arm has a shorter stride, throws 99 to 100, but the flight time that you see in 99 to 100 isn't the same as as a Chapman who is throwing from a lower position right. where the ball is rotating behind the head and then hiding and then coming out of the window kind of out of nowhere. And I think that's kind of an underrated thing is is, you know, how does the ball how does the hitter see the ball out of the pitcher's hand? You know, is that something that you kind of factor into when you're evaluating your guys?
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because I mean, you can have. I mean, having good stuff, throwing hard is is a good factor, but also what the hitter sees and how the hitter reacts is just as important. You know, um, like I'm a big fan of using Rap Soto. Um, for those that don't know what Rap Soto is, it just it measures the spin of your ball, spin rate, spin access, all that good information. Um, I I like using that, but I also think you need to get feedback from the actual batter. So whenever we're doing scrimmages, um, when I'm coaching, when we're doing scrimmages, or when I was playing, I throw to hitters like my teammates. I always would ask what they're seeing, if they see the ball early when I throw, just little visual cues. If if the hitter has a little bit of an advantage by seeing your ball a little bit earlier, um, it doesn't matter really, you know, how good your stuff is. If they have a little bit of an advantage, it's only going to help the hitter. So um, I think everything plays a factor. And I think that's another one um, that, that is, that's true. Some, some guys are just easier to pick up the ball with, even though they might throw 95.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of underrated. And, I, and honestly, you know, I, I did my best. I got to the highest level. I got to the, the Pacific League in Mexico. I sat next to Oliver Perez and Sergio Romo. It was awesome. You know, and, and they're still picking me first out of the pen. And then one of the things that I did talk to the hitters, the guys that faced me in the summer and then who I played with and they, they said, man, the biggest thing with you is we can't see. It's, it looks white, which I pride myself on spin. Everything looks white. Fastball, curve, slider, change, cutter. And we don't know which direction it's moving. And I was like, well, that's great. That, that means that the information that I'm coming out, it's coming out of my hand. Everything's coming out of the same tunnel. But when it's cutting, sinking, curving, you know, we're running. And, I, you know, I, I think that's an underrated thing of, of, of what the hitter sees in the information. Just like in catching, where are we catching for the sake of catching? Or are we catching to present something to the umpire who's behind us? Like, what are we showing him? You know, is is the umpire lower than normal? If he's lower, then you catching it deep's not going to work. Maybe you have to extend more so he sees the glove. Or is he higher? If he's higher, if he's a taller guy. You could probably get away with tucking in and catching it closer because you could steal more. So I think all those factors go in, and that that's that next level stuff
1: that we don't really see, guys. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Awesome. Well, do you have any questions for me?
1: Uh, let me think. Uh, well, what's are you still trying to play or did you retire after last year?
0: I haven't used the R word, but, I, I, you know, I don't think I'll use the R word until I like literally not play. So I guess technically I'm still getting paid to pitch. So technically I'm still a professional, but just not in an organization. I'm just doing it on Sundays on my own time, you know? Yeah. So really, really that's all it comes down to is that, is I'm trying to learn as much as I can to pass along. And so I still train, for probably the same reason you still strange. One, stay in shape. And two, I still like throwing. I like throwing. You know, so I've noticed that I try to keep my numbers up. Oh, that was a question I had for you too. Um, we'll get to that in a second. But I try to keep all my weight numbers up so I can throw without pain. I mean, like people, the guys that I that, that I throw with, so I'm I'm re- especially with all the guys that I play with in Mexico, Venezuela, Dominican Republic, I am anti-off. Like I, so let's see, since my arm injury, which I, I don't know if I told you this, but I broke my elbow in college pitching Listen, you know, it was basically a small circle. It's another reason why I'm not really a fan of the pocket. Cause that's what I did. I was, I was a very short circle to get the ball up, which created a lot of elbow torque and then ended up having me be a tricep thrower where I was really pushing the ball, but just slamming it down. And um, ended up having an avulsion fracture in my elbow. And I had an 85% stress fracture, stress fracture in my elbow. It took me three years and two different surgeries to come back. So that's how I kind of got obsessed with throwing and all this stuff. So, like, now, to this day, my last outing in the championship game – now, this is going to sound crazy. Kids, don't do this. You have to build up to it, okay? I threw 185 pitches in 11 innings um, in, in one game. And so – and that was – this year I was 32 and yeah. I don't go on the number of pitches um, because I go on feel and what my body is. Like clockwork, my hamstring starts cramping. I know it's game over. Like it's time It's time to call it a day, guys. Like I can't – I'm going to throw yep. one and you're going to see me seize on the mound because my hamstring's going to lock up. I'm not going to be able to walk. So when I feel that tightness come on – in the, in the hamstring and a little bit lower back, I know it's just, all right, I got five to 10 throws. So just that particular day, it's 95 degrees outside. It's hot, you know, just, and, and I had a lot of really efficient innings and not a lot of stress. And I was able to throw 11 innings. Do I recommend guys do that? No, but I think the difference of what I was able to do is in between innings, Doing bands, I'm doing plyo balls up against the wall to keep, and I'm rolling out a little lacrosse ball to keep everything limber, supple, and loose, so I'm able to do it. And and I think that's an underrated thing in between innings, where you see a lot of guys that just sit there, or read their notes, or do something, and not like what you know. ESPN freaked out over Otani doing throw holds, you know, in preseason. Like, what's he doing? And like, meanwhile, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. Supposed to stay loose. Supposed to keep moving. You know.
1: Absolutely. I'm a big fan of using like a shoulder too. We're doing some band work in between innings. And then when you get back out to the mound, it takes away those first two achy throws, meaningless throws that you have on the mound when you're warming up.
0: Oh, I totally agree. When I was in Kansas, that's what I did. Like I was throwing the ball. I was throwing my two-pound ball. You know, I do the pivot picks a little bit different just based on that, too, because even so like – and the reason why is when guys swing up with that pivot pick, I just notice a lot of face throwing where they throw that face first, which puts a lot of stress on the shoulder – so when it's down when they come from a lower position so try this if you want when you go from a lower position if you kind of do that little circle that you see online some guys do before you start it gives you a little bit more momentum to start so i have my guys kind of circle once and then bring it up and throw it so we're kind of practicing that distance for me to throw from a lower position just start from a lower position so you can get more force to go out front with it i just see a lot more success on on extension on guys getting that hand out in the front but for those new guys that have never seen me do it, I, I take five of those things as hard as I can and then run straight out to the mouth, you know, and, and, and they're like, what, what are you doing? And I'm like, dude, I'm getting loose, you know? And then I come out there and I'm bam, 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 you know, five warm warm-up throws. Let's get this thing going, you know, and, and they just, it's just new things they've never seen before. But like I said, I've seen that guy who threw a hundred, I saw him do that. So I was like, all right, well, you do it. you throw a hundred, you got to be doing something right. You know, besides the fact you can't, you can't spin it to save your life. I'm like, I was trying to tell him, like, dude, if you could throw a cutter or a slider and just hit the top of the plate, you'll strike out everybody you face. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't understand why Chapman doesn't throw a slider or his two-seam more. I'm so confused. Like, those two-seams when he was coming up through his reds his first year, I'm like, throw that every pitch, bro. Like, what are you – nobody is touching 100 with two feet of movement at all. It's just not happening. Woof. All right, I'm all excited. I'm all jacked up. Um, well, you got anything else? You got any good questions or anything? I think we've kind of covered a lot.
1: Yeah, uh, no, nothing off the top of my head. Just uh, I love what you're doing. I appreciate you having me on here. It's been, it's been good talking about this. And I love the idea. I don't know if it – I think it was off here we talked about it, but having a group chat like this with, with multiple yeah. coaches, kind of get a round table going talking about different pitching ideas.
0: No, we will for sure. Cause my my last my my guy, uh, the one that we did last time, we were he was really excited about doing that. and I said for sure. Are you going to the coaches convention in January? I will be. Yeah. See you there, brother. See you there. Yeah. I'm going. I'm I'm making the trip. I'm coming out. I want to learn something. So at the bare minimum, we'll 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 do another one podcast. At least share a beer or something and and go from there. 100. So we will. Yeah, because we'll, I can get going with this stuff for hours, man. Whew.
1: Yeah, that'll be good. I'm looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, sounds good. So tell everybody where they can follow you. I know you've got online programs and stuff. Just go ahead and lay out, you know, lay out the menu of options for for GSP.
1: Yeah, for sure. So um, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter um, at GSP underscore um, training. Uh, just how it sounds. Um, it's the same for Twitter and Instagram. Um, my website. I have a link to my website on both of those. It's gainerstrength dot com. Um, and then uh, I offer online training. I do remote training. So uh, for those of you that don't know what that is, um, we do everything through the phone and video chats and um, you'll do an assessment online. You'll send me a video of you performing those exercises, those movements, and I'll design a program for you, throwing wise, nutrition, lifting, um, all that good stuff. Um, and then I'm also actually in the process of uh, finishing up an ebook. It's an off-season, uh, 16-week off-season workout guide. Um, I'm just about done with it. Um, so I'll be releasing that here in a few weeks and that'll be for sale on my website.
0: Oh, yeah. Hey, by the way, send me whatever ad that you got for that and I'll repost it for you for sure. Definitely got to get that out there. Um, you you guys, the, the guy's got a bunch of knowledge. If you're, and it definitely sounds like we're on the same path. If, if you're in the area in Phoenix, go check him out. And then obviously, if you're looking for a school to play and you're trying to be a dude and dominate, then. Virginia Commonwealth, look out for you. You guys, so is that, that's D1, right? Right. All right, so we're, we're looking for regional this year? We're, we're, we're making other regionals? Is that what we're doing?
1: Yeah, I think so. They're, they're, they've are they're they been pretty good the past few years. They usually win 35, 36 games every year, and um, in 2015, they actually went to a super regional and played Miami.
0: Woo, yeah. So. I Dude, I love, man, it always cracks me up in baseball when you have all these, you know, obviously these mid-major teams, it's very hard to compete with these big-time teams and yeah. stuff like that, and you know, this past world, this past college world series, like I've been so excited about baseball lately because it just seems like all of the, all of the bunt him from first to second guys are just, they're not making it there, you know? And so it's very obvious for people to be like, yeah, the farther you hit it, the farther you go in baseball. Like, so let's put those things together. Like the faster you throw it, the faster you run, the farther it goes all of those things translate to get to where you need to go in in the baseball world. So I appreciate, you know, you put that out there. And if anybody wants to have a question out there and I'll put the link to all his stuff in the description of this video. So Jared, man, I really appreciate it. You got one last thing you want to end on?
1: Uh, No, that's about it. Just for those of you that are listening, just keep working hard. And like we talked about on this podcast, take ownership of your career you have control over it. Um, So it's up to you. If you want to make it, put in the work and um, have no regrets. Yeah,
0: cool. So hang out one real quick when I go off air, but I'll just sign off. Don't forget, he already talked about the Jager uh, bands that are on there. Those are available on my website. If you guys got a question about that, I got the tap, uh, oat specialty weighted balls, the shoulder tube, uh, flush bands, the J bands. Um, you can get any of my gear on here, like throw hard, putter nation, hats, shorts, pants, this awesome shirt right here. Um, If you guys got anything else DM me, I've got some other big things in the works um, And I'll be announcing that stuff very soon. So one last thing don't forget throw hard go follow my boy right here Jared. All right